We're in this series titled Life on Mission, and it's a four-part series. Today's part three, and last week we looked at how to live a successful journey as we live out this missionary life that Jesus calls us to. And we looked at how Jesus, we modeled, uh, to, to live a successful journey, we modeled it after the instructions that Jesus gave the 72 disciples when he sent them out on a local mission trip. Local meaning it was a short travel. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't to another country, but it was, it was a couple cities away. And he gave them instructions on, on, on how to do this and how to respond and how to act and how to stay focused. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take it a little bit step, a little step further, but we're going to kind of, kind of add to it, like to live a successful journey and to also, when we, when we talk about living out this missionary life as a believer, I'm pretty sure there's some people that are like, oh, just this, we get this stress and this pressure that we put on ourselves. And so how can we live a stress-free life as we journey through life as missionaries for the kingdom? How can we alleviate some of that stress that maybe life is putting on us or maybe we are putting on ourselves? Because I think we all can agree that sometimes life can be stressful. And when we talk about being missionaries for Jesus and sharing our faith and and finding our identity in the kingdom, that can just add to it. Because it just, it just it adds to all that pressure we put on ourselves. And so, I'm sure that we've all heard the phrase, I feel like I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. Right? Has anybody ever said that throughout their lives? Maybe there's a chapter in your life. Maybe, maybe it was because of what was going on at work or at home or just, just a lot of pressure. And you just felt like you were carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. Well, did you know that I don't think anybody really knows how that feels as much as Jesus? Like, I think in the literal sense, he actually carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I get this from 1 John chapter 2 where it says, Jesus, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of the world. He carried the sins of the world on his shoulders. When walking the earth, he carried the weight of being the savior of the world. He carried the weight of the sins of the world. When nailed to the cross, he carried the weight of the sins of every single person past, present, and future. I don't think our finite minds can even grasp what took place on the cross. He dealt with constant demands, constant requests of people wanting to see him, people seeking a healing, people seeking freedom, people seeking answers. Religious leaders trying to trap him in theological questions and, and scripture. Religious leaders plotting to kill him. He had zero privacy. He was under the expectations of many, many people. Think of the, the pressure and the stress that this would add to your life. Like, that's a lot. And yet... When we read the Gospels and when we study Jesus, it appears that he handles it well. He has a, a balanced life. He ushers in a peaceful atmosphere wherever he goes. He brought peace and understanding. He exemplified grace under pressure. That was Jesus. And if we're serious about modeling our lives after Jesus's and traveling a successful journey as we tell others the good news of the gospel then we're going to have some stress we're going to have some added pressures 
And so one of the first things that we need to understand about traveling a stress-free journey in Jesus is we need to know who we are in Jesus. We need to know who our identity is, what our identity is in Christ. Because too many people who call themselves Christians do not know what their identity is in Christ. Our identity is what makes us unique in the kingdom. It's who we were created to be in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus knew exactly who he was. And he didn't allow anyone's opinion to change that. And we can get this from what is called the I am statements that Jesus said. Jesus says, he's quoted as saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And when he said this, he was equating himself to be God, to be the son of God. When God first introduced himself to Moses as the, in, the, in the burning bush, Moses was like, who are you? And he says, I am that I am. I am. When Jesus said this, and it's called the I am statements, he was equating himself to God. And, you know, it's easy to say, well, of course he knew he was the Messiah. Of course he knew he was the Son of God. He was Jesus. Yeah, but he also had to deal with the devil constantly messing with him, demons constantly messing with him, religious leaders constantly messing with him, questioning, like, am I really? Like, I know, but am I really? If we're being honest, I, 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 think, I think that maybe there was probably a couple of times where he was like, I, you know, am I really meant to, is this who I am? But once he got it settled in his heart, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior of the world, I am the Son of God. He understood who he was in the kingdom, what his identity is, and he never wavered from it. And that's what a lot of us struggle with. Discovering who we are in Jesus. It can be a little complicated, but it's really not hard to figure out when we get the right help from others. And it's all a part of our journey with Jesus, figuring out who we are in Christ. Because, because it, it changes from time to time, like where our strengths and where our weaknesses are in the kingdom. And, and maybe I'm moving a little more in the prophetic in this season. And maybe I'm moving a little more in the gift of healing in this season. And maybe I'm moving a little more in the gift of helps in that season. Once we understand that, that I am who I am in Christ, then he's going to use us. And he's going to use us in different areas throughout our journey. I find that figuring out our identity in Christ happens more naturally the more we discover our ministry gifts. And we have this thing right now that we're doing called School of the Kingdom Ministry. We, we did it years ago, and we stopped doing it for a while. We did it, we're doing it again because there's a hunger and there's a thirst for knowing more about the kingdom, knowing more about Jesus, knowing more about how the Holy Spirit works. And the School of the Kingdom ministry, we're, we're like halfway through our first semester. But it helps you discover who you were created to be. It helps you discover your identity in Jesus. And it helps you discover how to use these gifts that God pours into us. Before I am a husband, before I am a father, even before I am a pastor, I have to realize that I am a child of God. And me personally, I'm confident in where my strengths and my weaknesses in the kingdom are. I know, I know where I flow really good at, and I know what intimidates me. And I'm okay with that, because there's somebody else who's stronger in the areas where I'm weak, and I'm stronger in the areas where they're weak. And that's where God fills all the gaps within the kingdom. See what I'm saying? It's what's called the body of Christ. 
This is what makes our identity in Jesus, our role in the kingdom. See, oftentimes we get this mixed up and we believe that our career is our purpose. Or maybe being a parent is my purpose in life. But our purpose in life is much deeper than that. It's kingdom-minded. Our calling in life is kingdom-minded. What are we called to do? Do I move better in the gift of evangelism? Or do I move better in the gift of, say, intercessory prayer? I'm a behind-the-scenes warrior. Do I move better in words of knowledge and words of wisdom and prophetic words? Or do I move better in the gift of healing and faith? See what I'm saying? How do we figure this out? Sometimes it comes naturally, and sometimes we need a group of people who hold a class called School of Kingdom Ministry to help us dial in on that. See, Jesus was confident in who he was. He was confident in his identity in the kingdom. And I want to read a story from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, that kind of shows us this. Now, right before this, what we're going to read, we're going to be in John chapter 8, verse 12. We're just going to read a couple of, couple of verses. But right before this, in the beginning of chapter 8, it says, early in the next morning, Jesus was back again at the temple. A crowd had soon gathered. He sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers and Pharisees, the religious leaders, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. It's early in the morning, so somehow they knew what was happening with this lady. Now, if I'm being honest, church, I want to know why they just brought the woman. I, really? Like, where was the guy in this? Why didn't we bring him, too? But that's just things that I think about. Like, I'm a little bothered by that. But anyways, they bring him this woman, and they, they try to catch Jesus, you know, like, what do you do, and... So anyways, Jesus does this thing, and everybody who wanted to condemn this woman leaves. They feel convicted in their own hearts. So Jesus says to her, he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Do you know something that our human minds don't understand is the grace and mercy of God? We understand judgment really well. <laughs> but the grace and mercy that God has for us, like, Jesus didn't say, you are forgiven. But he did say, go and sin no more. And I have to believe that in that moment, the weight of everything she was dealing with was gone. And she found freedom. And I'm hoping that she became a follower of his, right? But then, in verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. Here's this, here he's teaching, it's a regular day, and then here comes this disruption. Jesus, what do you say we do with her? He blows everybody's mind with, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And then he says, hey, by the way, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. First of all, Jesus just said to them, I am the light of the world. The religious leaders would know exactly what he was saying. He's equating himself to God. God, in the Old Testament, often referred to himself as the light. So they're like, who are you to be saying this about yourself? Well, the 
part I want to dial in on is this. Jesus did not seek the validation of others. He did not need anybody else to tell him who he was. Again, he was confident in who he was. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was the light of the world. He spoke the truth, and the truth never changes. Now, on one hand, though, you got to admit, the religious leaders were not exactly wrong in challenging Jesus on this statement about himself. He just equated himself to God. Listen, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will no longer have to walk in darkness. And they're like, who, who are you to be saying this about yourself? But on the other hand, they were in total denial of the miracles and the healings and the knowledge of Scripture that Jesus was teaching about himself. And the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world. They missed all of that part. They refused to see it. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that Jesus was walking in humility and truth while the religious leaders were not. They refused to believe who he was. The one that all of their scriptures and prophecies told about. And so there must be some humility in knowing who we are in Christ. There must be humility in not seeking the validation of others. See, it's a heart posture. Once pride and the ego and the self begin to creep in, we need to be aware of that because that's where we start seeking the validation of others. And that's where we start saying, I am really good at this. There's got to be humility. It's a heart posture. I remember this story. I often use this story. It's uh, Matt Redman was a famous worship leader and, um, and uh, he wrote this song called, called Heart of Worship. And it was, and you know, he, he pride and things like that started creeping in. And then he, this Heart of Worship song, you know, I'm bringing it all back to the heart of worship. I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've made it. And he tells this story that after church one day, somebody comes up to him and, and compliments him and says, that, you know, what great worship it was. And, and he said, it was all God. I had nothing to do with it. And the person said, well, it wasn't that good. And I think he had a little moment there. Started doing some self-reflection. I would venture to say maybe it was a little more of how he said that than what he said, right? But I'll never forget that. We, it's, it's a fine line between, you know, being humble and, and knowing who we are in Christ and seeking the validation of others and allowing the approval of others to speak into us. You know what I mean? It means that we are not swayed by the opinions of others when it comes to who we are in the kingdom. We understand our purpose in life. We understand we were created by and deeply loved by God. We understand that we're not perfect either, but that Jesus died for us, and because of his sacrifice for us, we now have purpose in life when we begin living life with him. Our purpose is not our own, though. Our purpose is living a life on mission with God the Father. And we can no longer be focused on the things of man, but focused on the mission that Jesus calls us to and focused on him. And uh, later on in John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Why did he say he has not deserted me? Do you think maybe there were times where Jesus was like, I'm feeling a little alone here, Father. 
Aren't there times when we feel a little alone in our faith? Like, where are you, God? Sometimes I think he, he pulls away from us just a little bit to get us to kind of press in a little bit more to him. Right? Just kind of see where you're at. I also remember another time when, when I first started coming to church here years and years ago, and man, the Spirit of God would just hit me, and I'm crying the whole time, and worshiping, and you know, just, I was a mess, like spiritually, in a, in a good way. And then one day, after maybe about a couple of months, I felt nothing. I'm like, what is going on? And I looked around, everybody's got their hands up, worshiping, and I'm like, where's, where's mine, God? And then I said, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I've, maybe I've reached this level now where, where okay, I'm in, I'm in the next phase. And everybody in here is feeling the same way I'm at now. Well, that's okay, God. All right, I'm worshiping you anyways. And then the next Sunday, I was slammed with the Holy Spirit. I was just like, oh, he loves me so much again. I don't know what was happening there, but just something, I thought something spiritual happened. And I, I think God just kind of wanted to pull away a little bit. And Chip, I just want to see where you're at. If you don't physically feel me today, are you coming back? Yeah, I'm coming back. Absolutely I am, God. Jesus says, I always do what pleases the Father. Earlier in John chapter 5, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And that's another thing that we, we have to pay attention to. We have to be in tune to the voice of God and what he's doing around us. And are we going to make mistakes? Are we going to say, oh, maybe that wasn't God? Yeah, sure we are. But I'd rather make a mistake and embarrass myself than not. Doing what, only doing what the Father is doing, right? This is what it means to know our purpose. I'm focused on what the Father is doing around me. This is what it means to follow our calling in the kingdom. This is how we go through life seeking the kingdom and not the validation of man. I do nothing on my own, but I do what I see the Father doing. This is the mindset that gives us the seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will fall into place. Because here's the thing, church. We're all driven by something. There's always there's something that gets our attention. There's something that motivates us. There's something that gives us drive. Whether it's success, greed, money, fame, fear, adoration, approval, regret, guilt, lust. We're all driven by something. And it is when we are driven by the mission God calls us to in life, all these other things will fall by the wayside. And we live a stress-free life in Christ. When these other things have our attention, there's more stress, there's more pressure. Because we recognize that it's not right. But, but here's the deal, too. Listen, there's always going to be a certain amount of stress in life. There's always going to be a certain amount of pressure. Life waxes and wanes. Stressful periods come and go. But stress-free in the kingdom means we experience what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I remember one time I was going through uh, a pretty stressful season, like, like, like beyond pretty stressful, like golly, could it get any worse? And then come out of that season, and I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with a, with a pastor friend, and, and he's like, you know, I, I was kind of watching you go through this and stuff, and he's a good friend, so I mean, like, he was kind of there a little bit. He says, and that was Philippians chapter 4. 
That's how you got through that. And I never even gave it a thought. I was like, oh my goodness, you're right. While I'm dealing with all this other stuff in life, I'm still carrying out my role as a missionary for Jesus. Because even though I'm dealing with all these peripherals, the peace that surpasses all understanding was guarding my heart and mind in Christ. It was supernatural. And I didn't even realize it in the moment. But somebody said, I think that's what that was. And I was like, I'll be darned, you're right. Staying focused also is what matters most. It's key. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi in, uh, earlier in, in the same book in Philippians chapter 3. He says this. This is the Apostle Paul. This is his teaching. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, listen. If anybody had a past that would haunt them, it was the Apostle Paul. Before his name was Paul, it was Saul. And he was a Jewish religious leader who was zealous for God and believed that these people who followed Jesus, it was a cult. He, he denied everything about Jesus. And he felt it was his mission to eradicate this cult. And at the time, it was called the way. And you can read about this in the book of Acts. Paul went door to door, dragging Christians out of their homes to torture, to kill them, to get them to blaspheme and deny their faith in Christ. That's what he did. And then he gets the green light from the, from the higher-ups to go to the city in Syria called Damascus. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to eradicate all of these Jesus people. I mean... This stuff goes on today, and we... see a Damascus in your contacts. Well, that was weird. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, we read about this today, and we call them what? Terrorists. Paul's heading to the city, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And he's like, whew, he has a conversion. And now he begins preaching the good news of Jesus. And everywhere he goes, you got to believe there were some people that said, I, I know who you are. You killed my family. You did this, you did that. And he has to have conversations. Think about that. And so supernaturally, through only the power of God and the Holy Spirit within him, he, he gives this little teaching. Listen, I focus on one thing. I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling all of us. Paul had to be intentional on not letting the past control his future. See, oftentimes our past dictates who we are and where we're going in life. And kind of like all of, all of us have a past and some of us have one that like is horrific. And it's hard to let go of that. Paul had to let go of that. I personally think, and I don't have anything to base this off of, not one thing, but Paul speaks about this thorn in his side and, and, and this demonic you know, presence that was always kind of beating him down, and, and, and there's all kinds of theories. It was a sickness, it was an illness, it was this, it was that. I, I wonder, I just wonder if it was his past. Like, he spent a lot of time in prison. He spent a lot of time with his own thoughts. He had to think about stuff. And I, I just, I, I wonder about that. But, but here's the thing, church. We can't change what happened yesterday. We can't change the past. We can't, no matter how much we try, right? We can't gloss over it. We can't mask it. We can't 
deny it, but we can learn from it. We can learn from it. And for those of us who, who have a bad past that we're trying to forget, we can get healing from it. And when we get that healing, do you know what happens? When we're finally in that place where I'm okay, it's a part of who I am, it's not going to dictate who I'm becoming. When we get to that place, and we can get there, then God will use us to minister to others. That's how that works. We can't change it. So it does us no good to dwell on yesterday. We learn from it, and then we move on. That's what Paul was trying to say here. And it's a lot easier said than done. But I have to believe that if the Apostle Paul could do it, we can do it. He had things in his... And he, probably had, he probably had voices in his head that, that nobody should ever hear, you know? He, he learned how to deal with it. He learned how to receive healing from it. And then also, Jesus taught on the importance of staying focused on what lies ahead. In Luke chapter 9, these guys are coming up to Jesus. We talked about this a little bit last week, and Jesus says, you know, come follow me. Well, let me go get my, my affairs in order first. No, nope, forget it. Come follow me. Well, my, my dad's dying. Let me bury him first. Nope. Come follow me. No, I got, I got things. Let me, let me, you know, tell everybody goodbye. Nope. It's like, Jesus, can you let them just, like, like, let them pack their bags first? Like, I would say, okay, meet me back here in a week and let's go. But see... The point that Jesus was trying to make is he was looking for those who were sold out. He was looking for those who were willing to die to self right then and there and follow him. That's who he was looking for. And then at the end of the, of the, of the teaching, he says this in Luke chapter 9. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now at that time, when you're plowing with oxen, one, two, four, however many, and you start looking back, well, your lines are going to be all over the place. It's kind of like when I'm mowing the lawn. I am laser-focused on straight lines. Yeah, you laugh. <laughs> but when you look back, you're no longer looking forward, and where you need to be going gets skewed. And so what Jesus is saying here is, listen, to do the work of the kingdom, to set our minds on bringing the good news to the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, we cannot get caught up in worldly affairs. We cannot allow the things of the past or the distractions of the day to dominate our attention. Looking back is what keeps us from realizing our full potential in Jesus. It keeps us from realizing who we were created to be. It keeps us from realizing our identity in Christ because we're constantly looking back at the person we once were. Not everything is equally important and not everything needs our full attention. Now, that takes wisdom. That takes wisdom to figure out because oftentimes we think that everything deserves our full attention. And when you get to a point where you can prioritize things and be okay with people being upset with you because they're not your first priority, the goal is to understand what is most important and stay focused on that which lies ahead. And when we do this, the peace of God envelops us. It surrounds us. It's within us. It's Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. This sounds like a really good way to relieve stress. Fix your thoughts on God, on the things of God, on the kingdom of God. You got a lot of stuff happening in your life and you're not too sure how to do, deal with it? Open the Bible up. 
You might not even understand what you're reading, but I guarantee you the word of God is getting into your spirit and it will bring peace. Jesus always had his thoughts fixed on what the Father was doing. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. The Father and I are one. He is always with me. He's never deserted me. And Jesus could not have always had his thoughts fixed on the Father if he did not make it a point to have private devotion time with God. He had quiet time with the Father. He knew how important this was. In Mark chapter 1, all throughout the Gospels, you read about Jesus going off. He sent the disciples across the lake, then he went into the wilderness to pray. He, he often was found somewhere in an isolated pr place praying. In Mark chapter 1, it says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. The rest of that passage says, I think it's Peter woke up and was like, where's Jesus? And they went out and looked for him. And there he was. Again, trying to have some quiet time with the Father, but here comes the boys. Right before this verse, we can read about the many people that Jesus healed and set free from demonic oppression. And then right after this verse, they're getting ready to set off to Galilee and go do a mission trip. But in between the busyness of ministry, Jesus said, I got to go. I want, first of all, I want to, and this is just me speaking, right? First, I want to go thank God for everything he just did through me, everything we just did, setting people free, healing people, preaching the good news. And then I want to see what it is he wants us to be focused on as we leave for our next trip. He didn't just go from trip to trip to trip. He spent time with the Father. He was looking for direction. He was probably thanking God. And who knows, maybe he just sat in silence and just spent time with God. That's what quiet time is. We just sit there. We don't always have to be talking. Just sit there and invite God in and then wait. See, Jesus was constantly active, but he never failed to spend time with the Father. Spending time with God is what gets us recharged for the next adventure. And so we too need to learn from this and be intentional on creating a pattern in life or a rhythm in life where we spend time with God. Quiet time on a regular basis. Do you know what my biggest excuse is that interrupts my private devotion time? It's three words. I'm too busy. I have things to do. And once that starts interrupting my private time with God, I can tell you I'm off kilter. And personally for me right now, like, like this is the time of year at the church where we start casting vision for next year and I'm seeking God for answers and like, you know, where do you want to go with the church? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to follow you? What do you have for us? And really, spiritually, it's exciting. And to be honest with you, I feel like God is kind of helping me understand what my next like rhythm in life with him is going to be. Next patterns in life with him is going to be. Is it going to be morning time? Private time? Is it going to be late at night? Could it be in the middle of the day? And, and so I encourage you, church, God, when would be a good time for me to set aside to spend with you? Because if being too busy keeps me from spending time with God, then I need to make some changes to the patterns of my schedule. My schedule should never get in the way of my quiet time with God. Listen to what Psalm 62 says. I wait quietly before God. Does that sound like someone who's like just saying, God, geez, please, oh, please, please help my, my kids. Please help my, my husband. Please help my wife. Please help my job. Please help God. Please, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. 
I wait quietly before God. For my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will never be shaken. See, God alone is where our victory comes from. And sometimes the biggest victories can be found in the quietest of moments. And in this victory comes a stress-free journey. Because all that other stuff that's going on doesn't mean as much as it wants you to think it means. Because you're finding victory in your creator. Now, another key, and the, the last thing we'll look at to living a, a stress-free journey or, or finding victory in the kingdom is surrounding ourselves with the right people. Listen to this in Mark chapter 3. Verse 13. Again, Jesus is doing all this ministry stuff and crowds are just coming around and everything. And then it says this. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. He's got another mission trip lined up, ready to go. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, later became Peter, James and John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and then Judas Iscariot. Remember what we talked about last week about doing life? We were never meant to do life alone. Even Jesus modeled this for us. He was the first small group leader in the church. Before the church was even established, Jesus created a small group right here. Twelve guys. He called a bunch of people to him, and then he said, you twelve are going to be my apostles. And one of them ended up betraying him. Did he make a mistake? No. He felt that Judas was right for the job. Sometimes, sometimes people come to a fork in the road and they, they veer to the right when they should have veered to the left. Judas made a big mistake. But I'm pretty sure that Jesus invested him, just invested in him, just like he did with all the others. I mean, Judas was the treasurer. But these 12 were to accompany him on his journeys. They would be there for him. He felt comfortable being around these 12. I'm pretty sure he sought the will of the Father before he picked these people out. And in turn, he would teach them the ways of God's kingdom. They would do life together. I often meditate on what, what the conversations they had that aren't recorded, like the late night campfire conversations with Jesus. And I wish there was like a bootleg album out with that. Like somebody recorded these conversations that, that aren't in the Gospels. But you know, they, they spent personal time with the Savior of the world. Here's the deal, church. This is what Jesus established here, a small group. And then he invested in them and sent them out with the authority to cast out demons and heal the sick and, and, and preach the good news. See, the, the pastor of the church, you know, me, can't tend to the needs of everybody as much as he would like to. And so we have small groups in the church, and we have people who lead these small groups, who shepherd a small flock within the bigger flock here at Vineyard Community. And then we have people in other leadership positions that are doing things that are just helping the church, the body of Christ here in this church click and move forward and move along. And they're shepherds. They're looking out for those that are a part of their circle, their flock, so to speak, here at the church. 
And oftentimes when there's an issue or when there's something serious going on, I'll get a text or a call and, hey, you know, just want you to let you know so-and-so is going through a rough time or this and that and the other, and we'll figure something out and hopefully get them where they need to be. But, but that's what small groups are for. We call them life groups. We have one. The, the first meeting is this Wednesday. It's one that's focused on prayer over at Ted and Noemi's house in Pickerington. I'm really excited about it. We have another one that's going to be starting up here pretty soon. You know, church, there's a lot of healthy things that are happening here that I'm really excited about that God is doing here at Vineyard Community Church. And he's raising up leaders to fulfill the roles of the kingdom and to fulfill their purpose in this journey we call life with Jesus. And when you're in a life group, you have lasting relationships, friendships that last years, 16 years. Friendships are formed in small groups. And you know what else a small group is? It's your safety net. It's where you can open up about things and feel comfortable about it and not feel judged. The night before Jesus was nailed to the cross, he went to this garden called Gethsemane, right? And he took some of his small group with him. He went there to pray. He was the weight of the world. I mean, he was so stressed. He was sweating blood. He says to, the, the, there's three in his small group. They're known as his inner three, uh, Peter, James, and John. He took them on some adventures that he only took them on with him. So he had an inner circle within his circle, small group. They didn't know what was going on. I think they were kind of looking at him like, something, something. I, 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 Peter was probably the most vocal about it. But guys, something is happening here. Jesus says to them in Matthew 26, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. It was at this point in his life on mission journey that Jesus needed the support of those closest to him. And I have to believe that just knowing those guys were there alleviated a little bit of the stress, gave him some kind of comfort that the guys are there, even though he went back and they were sleeping. <laughs> he was like, guys, wake up. But it, it had to help him just a little bit. And at some point, church, we're all going to need the help of somebody. And wouldn't it be nice if we had a small group that we were a part of? A life group leader that we could, we could say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really hurting. You know, before we meet tonight, is there any way that we could pray? That alleviates some stress in life, knowing that you have somebody in your life you can trust and you can open up to. And when we have those, that support, when we have those relationships, it helps us get through these trials in life. And being a part of a small group, it's, it's just good for our spiritual health. It really is. But it's something that takes us out of our comfort zones at first and then becomes comfortable. Small groups have been around since the early church. I mean, Jesus started the first group, but listen to this in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the good will of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They went to church together on Sunday morning. They went to the temple. And then they met in their homes for communion. 
And they met in their homes and shared meals together. They did life together as a group. This is the beginning of the church. And obviously, clearly, something good was happening because the numbers grew by the day. There was genuine, authentic friendships within the kingdom of God, and lives were being changed, and it was evident. Amen? So we'll, change, we'll close it up with this. Here's the deal, church. I think we could all agree that life has enough stress in and of itself. It's hard. Life can be hard. And then we add on top of it this missionary life that we're supposed to live out as Christians. For some of, this, for some of us, this comes naturally, and we're like, ah, oh, I just can't wait. I, I want to, ah, oh, evangelism and praying for people and getting out there and, ah, oh, it's in my blood. And then others of us are like, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't, I'm just, it scares me. But here's the deal. It's something that Jesus calls each and every one of us to do. He died for us so that we could live forever with him. And his desire is to reach others through us. And when we go through life paying attention to what the Father is doing around us, we begin to understand who we are in Christ. If you're intentional on looking to see where the Father is around you, he will rock your world. He will. Because you're willing to allow him to move through you and you're looking to see where he's at in, in your neighborhood, at the stores, at work, wherever. You're listening for words. You're listening for things. And we begin to understand who we are in Christ when we do this and what our true purpose is in life as we follow his lead and walk in victory the path he designed for us from the beginning. And as we each do this in our own journey, the number of God's kingdom will grow by the day. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, for who you are and, and what you do and, and, and how you want to move through each one of us. And I just pray that the words that were spoken today, God, sink deep within our spirits. Lord, that, that, that there's just this... this rush of life in our spirits. Like, you know what? I can do this. I can do this. And so I want to thank you for that, Jesus.